Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Therapy is a Christian podcast is all things mental health and Christ. We specifically talk about how mental health and God are merged together to foster growth, healing, and making mental health a normal conversation. I'm your host, Roz and Renee, and welcome to the show. Are you someone that constantly procrastinates? You feel overwhelmed and don't know where to start? You plan a long list of to-dos and they never get done? Maybe you self-sabotage on your goals or things you want to do. Do you know that I've been doing time management coaching now for about two years? Yes, sis. I have coached over 60 plus women on how to better manage their time and overcome self-sabotage and procrastination. This time I want to help you. I'm offering for a very short time one-on-one strategy calls. On these calls, we'll go over all of your needs related to time management, and I'll give you some quick tips to help you learn how to manage your time better. If you're needing that direct help, I've got you. Go to rosalindrenee.com and scroll to where it says book a call with me and go to the link in the show notes to get on my calendar. I can't wait to help you, sis. Now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Therapy is a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Rosalindrenee. Welcome to another episode of the show. I am super excited, sis. Hi, 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 y'all. So we have another interview this week, and I'm so excited for you all to hear my sis today. She is so, so, so anointed. I am super, super excited for her to share her story. So I'm going to introduce Kalanda. Say, hey, sis. Hey, sis. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So me and Kalinda met when we actually are in the same business program. If you all have heard Jasmine Chanel, which you actually might have heard that before because I did another interview with another one of the girls in that program. But I met her through being in that program and got an opportunity to hear her story when we did our podcast console. But I also got an opportunity to actually speak for her retreat. I want to say it was like two months ago and it was so, so good. And what she does is so amazing. So I want you to just kind of go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. So my name is Kalanda. I am a wife, mom of two boys and have a full-time job, but I am also the founder of the Church Girls Movement. It's an organization that I created out of my struggle as a bona fide church girl, being taught one thing, but the world doesn't care about your standards and that constant struggle of trying to be everything I had been taught, but I still wanted to be able to fit in or not look strange, you know? And so I created a movement to help women learn, unlearn, and relearn because I realized that growing up in church that some of the things that we were taught while there was a reason why we were taught it the way that it was taught now in the 21st century 
those things can be also be outdated. They have birth limiting beliefs and some other things that we may be able to get into today. So I don't want to share too much, but that's why I created the movement. So through the movement, I've written books. I host events. I love an intimate setting. I love girl talk so women can freely, openly and get exactly what they need from the event. So I do a lot of those types of events. Rosalyn is referring to my retreat that I do annually for married and engaged women because I've been married 11 years, but sis struggled the first, I don't know, y'all, maybe seven years. And I had been married to my high school sweetheart, thought it was going to be perfect, and it was not. So yeah, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, so with Church Girl Movement, of course, like we can get ideas from God and kind of stall or not want to do them because we're like, one of the things I've really like discovered recently is especially for me, because I feel like there's a lot of times God just will drop an idea and I'm like, where's the time? What time? (laughs) What time do I have? One. But also this kind of like he's talked about, it births these limiting beliefs. And so I'm pretty sure this kind of goes into your own journey of overcoming and kind of realizing, oh, I grew up hearing that, but that don't really sit well with me. Oh, I don't, that really doesn't apply or this and kind of just being in that space. So talk about what was it like for you to kind of unlearn those things and how that end up coming to become the movement. But for you individually, what were those things that you kind of had to unlearn? So I would say like the main thing was that growing up in church, I thought salvation was the only goal. I thought once you got saved, so I said, well, I'm gonna get saved when I get married because you know, then I won't, I really won't have a desire or won't be able to do all the other stuff that I was thinking that would make me not be saved. So I said, when I got married, I was going to be saved for real. I was going to have the Holy Ghost and I was going to do everything the Lord told me to do. But before I even got married, I was in college and I left home and went to another church. And it was my pastor. He became my pastor. He said, there's more that the Lord wants you to do. Otherwise, when he saved you, he would have took you the same day. I said, well, that make a lot of sense. He said, but if he left you here, he left you here for a purpose. So that means salvation wasn't the only goal. I'm thinking I just supposed to get saved. I'm working my nine to five or whatever it is I was going to do after college until the Lord came back or until I went to heaven. But when he said that there was more that the Lord wanted you to do, man, that thing stuck with me. And I'm like, okay, what are my other skills? Like I had no idea what my gifts were because I had never had to think about it. I was just going to be saved. I was just going to be saved and serve in church. And that's it. So I started realizing like, okay, I have a book idea. So I said, well, maybe let me write a book. And I did that some years later. It took me some years to get it out because I had never seen it done. Nobody in my church had ever like taken off. And of course you see other entrepreneurs But I don't know if I've ever thought about, okay, that was a gift or that was something that the Lord instructed them to do. So I wrote a book and then people like actually bought it. And I was like, wow. So I have a purpose that may be a resource for somebody else. And so that began my whole journey of, okay, there is more that the Lord wants me to do. I wonder if everybody else knows this because I'm sitting in church with other young adults who are doing the same thing I'm doing. We're going to school and we just are going to be whatever this job is and that and then we're going to get married and then we're going to have kids but nobody was talking about purpose and gifts and spiritual gifts and being an answer and we knew we were supposed to go and witness into Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth but no one had ever talked about what that looks like I always thought it was going to be within inside the four walls of the church so that really began my journey of 
wow. So once I wrote the book, I said, well, let me start this. The Lord gave me the idea for the movement because I wanted other women to know, like, sis, there is more that the Lord has for us. Yeah. Like, okay. So you put, you said a couple of things that were so good. I was over here like trying to hold myself, (laughs) but like, that's one of the things I hear a lot of women say, there's this thing of understanding what calling is and knowing how to practically implement that. One, I think because as Black people, historically, we've never been given those opportunities to do. So it's almost newly introduced. I think, especially with the millennials, we are the first kind of like, I believe, creative innovators. Like our parents, they just worked a nine to five. So they didn't know any other option unless they themselves like walked in that path. I, for me, was blessed to have had parents who came up with an idea and executed it. Although they really didn't have the knowledge to know what to do, they did explore things. But that wasn't really necessarily like, oh, taught, like, oh, you have the creative freedom to explore and create. So there's no frame of reference, essentially. And then, like you said, thinking salvation is the ultimate goal. It is. But then what's after that? And like, I think not having that frame of reference can also like make us feel like because we've never seen it, it's not possible. Right. And so for you, like with introducing that concept to a lot of women, what were some of the things that you noticed in your own personal journey as you've kind of explored this, that you've had to mentally overcome? So those limiting beliefs. So I have this freedom in the sense that I know there's a specific purpose for why Kalanda was created. The word tells me that before I was in my mother's womb, he put something in me so that I could accomplish it because it was pre-planned. So he just intended for me to get here on earth, discover my purpose and walk it out. So I have that freedom that combats against my religion in the sense that, okay, Yes, the Lord has more he wants you to do. But in my particular reformation, sometimes women don't have as much access. They don't have much freedom to be creative. Sometimes a title is needed or a certain support is needed or a certain backing is needed in order for you to go on to do something else. So one thing that I think is unique for me and because of how I grew up is my church girls movement is not supported by any church organization. And that was hard for me because it's like, no, Lord, I grew up and your pastor was supposed to give you a stamp of approval. So when you went out into the world, the first thing people ask you is what church do you go to? What's your pastor? And that was like a way that they accepted you or welcomed your ministry. I don't have that. And I have asked the Lord several times, Lord, send me a mentor. I don't know anybody else who's doing it like I'm doing it. Send me some woman, some man, somebody to come and say, Kalanda, here's the way. And every time the Holy Spirit is like, I'm going to mentor you. I am going to be the one to show you how to do this. And so that's my mental my mental thing right now. Go ahead. Girl, girl. Okay, I'll try not to get excited. I'm over here like trying not to be super excited. But girl, I feel like that is such a... One, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yes. Like, because it relies solely on faith. The other thing is it forces you to have to go to God. But the other thing that I think is really unique with that is, and I've learned this, especially nowadays, and even some things that I've learned over my walk with God is God wants his own glory. And I feel like when we assign our own, our things that God created specifically for his own will, and put it on somebody else or even attach it to that or attach it to someone else's knowledge because their knowledge is limited and we don't rely on the faith or taking like the step out. 
if it goes wrong, then we almost put it on that person or Mm -hmm. we rely then on that person to give us the insight instead of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So I love how you said, or, and even Holy Spirit bringing to you, like he's going to be your guide in this because essentially it comes from God completely. Right. And sometimes when we have other people's opinion, it taints what the Lord intended this to be. And he knows that because of how I grew up, if I handed this over to my reformation, it will look like any other ministry inside my reformation. He set it apart to where, and then that way I may only draw other people who are like me. But it's so set apart now that I have women from all different reformations of faith. Now we, we all believe in the Lord. We all are saved, all believe in salvation, but we come from different reformations of faith. And I mean, when I say that, I mean Baptist, non-denominational, whatever their preference is, Pentecost. And I think that helps my organization to be more welcoming because I have women from all different faith, reformations, age groups, marital status. And I wouldn't have the same freedom if I were inside of an organization and allow somebody else to put their hand on it. They would have more say-so about who I accepted, what I did, what it has to look like. I have more creative freedom. I could decide today that I want to do a prayer challenge next week. And I don't have to go through anybody to see if it's okay with them. If I do it, you know, get with them about the times, what it should look like. The Lord could just put it in my spirit. And then next week I'll be announcing that we're having a prayer challenge. So, yeah, that's good. And that also takes like the limitations off. Yes. Which I believe one in general, especially the freedom in God and really just freedom in Christ in general, you have the ability to not have the limits and nothing is impossible essentially. So Kind of going and switching gears into essentially what you do within Church Girl Movement. What are some of the things that the ladies that come to you need help with or struggle with? So I would say the main thing is marriage. And I don't know if anybody would be honest about it if hadn't been honest first. And it has to do with marriage, because even when you're in church, a lot of people tend to think that just because you met him in church, you all going to church together or... He says he has a relationship with the Lord. We feel like everything is going to go well. And I've also heard people say, as long as I take care of God's business, he'll take care of mine, meaning he'll take care of my family. But no, we have responsibility to take care of our own marriages. And so I spend a lot of time with women who, you know, it's like, we both love the Lord. I don't see why this isn't working. And it's like, sis, this is something we have to nurture and make sure it grows and matures like everything else in life. So, you know, just like you have your relationship with the Lord and you have to spend time with him to make sure it nurtures and grows, we have to do the same thing with marriage. We can't just keep waking up with the same person every day thinking that automatically we're going to, you know, be together for the rest of our lives. We have to work at this. And I'm trying to change the way women see marriage is that it is a ministry. Like out of this marriage, we hope that you all have children who you nurture, who grow up to love God. And then they too decide to go on, get married, have children who they nurture and love God. And then we're continuing this ministry of people who love God, want to serve him and want to you know, do their purpose. So I think that's the main thing is marriage because there isn't a lot of education on equal sides. You know, we teach the women to be chaste. You need to be a virgin. If you want to get a man, don't have sex. And then your husband come, it's going to be perfect. But then we tell these men, okay, now you need to go ahead and get out your system because when you get married, you ain't going to be able to do all that. And so we have this unequally yoked 
people who are prepared for marriage, you know, from the get-go, we're being conditioned for marriage. You know, we're playing with Barbie dolls. We're in the kitchen playing house. They out, the men outside playing basketball, football, whatever. They're not thinking about marriage until they're thinking about marriage. But all along, we have been thinking about it. So I feel like we have two groups of people who are not prepared on the same level. And so now sis is confronting the immaturity of her husband. But when you think about it, when you dig into his family life or his childhood, first time he thought about marriage is when he met you. And he decided, you know, he didn't want to be with anybody else. So, girl. <laughs> edges. Okay. Edges. Because you just did a whole, like a whole thing. Because I think about this often. I always tell people, y'all, I couldn't date now. I don't know what it would look like to know how to date now. I've been with Nico for, let's see, it'll be 10 years next year. We've been married for almost four years. I'd have been with the same man forever. But so for me, it's like, and then of course you've been with your husband since high school. Mm -hmm. And so what I always like to tell people with marriage is that, yes, it's a ministry. Yes, you have to nurture it, but you also have to be very mindful when you're coming in of, for me, I'll speak on say, I didn't know who I was when I got married. I was so broken, Kalanda. Broken. Broken before we got married. I think I was like, I just started therapy three months before we got married. So I was engaged at the time I actually like started to deal with some of this stuff. My husband has always been very confident. He's always been a very grounded person. I think he has the gift of faith because he is so fearless. Like anything Mm -hmm. he does is like... We'll figure it out at time. Like nothing shakes him ever. That was not this. She was like, everything was a problem. And so I think when it comes to that, especially with a lot of women, we always kind of say, oh, I'm going to let God take care of it. And really like, that's not a reality in a lot of ways because he gives us free will. He gives us the ability to choose. He gives us the ability to have faith, which is also a choice. And there's also work that comes behind it. So to say... I'm going to let God take care of it. It's like he's giving you the tools to do it. And so really a lot of times within marriage as well is marriage will pull out the issues out of you. Mm -hmm. You're always, you're in the situation. It's almost as if when you start a job and you experience like the rough patches of a job, you wouldn't know that there's a rough patch in a job or that you maybe have a problem with communicating to your boss or coworkers until you're actually in the situation. So a lot of times we don't know that a problem exists until we're actually experiencing the problem. But a lot of times as natural human beings, we tend to avoid problems. And so there's a lot of women who've never been taught how to be assertive, how to share your share. And as a woman, as a wife that's called as a wife, we hold so much influence on our husbands. Our influence in the home is so large. Yes, they're the leader, but we are the background people that are like, no, babe, this, and they listen to that influence. Right. Almost like if I was to put something on Instagram, I say, hey, y'all, I think this is really good. Y'all should buy it. Because you trust me, you trust who I am, you trust my opinion, you're probably going to go buy it. And so the same thing happens with the influence with a husband and a wife. Yes, the husband may be the head and the leader in the home, but there's a lot of times Ross is in the background saying something that can drive a lot of the decision-making that occurs. And so I think, We've never been taught how to communicate. We haven't been taught intimacy. Intimacy, sex is a real thing in marriage. And there are a lot of times you don't want to do it. There are a lot of times when sis, you be like, I 
don't feel like being touched, okay? Yeah. Especially when the time of the month comes. But like, that is such a drive, that's such a need for men. But how can you then, and I know you can talk about this, of course, but even what that looks like, intimacy, because sometimes, like you said, you know, two different pages. Yeah. Like when me and Nico dated, I tell people all the time, we did not have the candid story of no fornication. We ain't had it. But Rosalind was over here like, after something would happen, she would cry. Like I have shamed the Lord. There was so much shame attached to intimacy that Nico would look at me like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> like, what did I do to you? Are you okay? But for him, it was like, that wasn't his conviction. For me, it was. And so yeah. even having that, turmoil can be challenging when we were dating but in general with ministry as ministry is always something you have to work at always something we're not who we are at 31 and 32 it's not the same people we were at 25 24 we have a child now so there's a totally different mindset and so talk about for yourself like what that looked like for marriage for you when you first started uh, when you all first got married and how, what were kind of some of the early lessons you learned in marriage? And none of this could be where we kind of land for the rest of the podcast, but kind of talk about that. Okay. So I think one of the first things is that marriage had been so ingrained in me that this is an accomplishment. Like you want to grow up and you want to get married. Like that's salvation and marriage. And it wasn't Wait, positioned. Can I say something to this? <laughs> I just got to add this one point. The narrative that marriage is an accomplishment yeah. is like such an empty statement. And I don't mean that to say it's a bad thing because God ordains marriage. And I believe that there's there's huge blessing with marriage. But there is such a beautiful thing when you are understanding that after you get married, nothing really changes as far as like attitudes, behaviors. You really have to work on now putting together what it looks like for two people to come together. Now there's more of an obligation of, I'm now attached to this person for life. I have to work at this. But here's the thing. That person is who they are. You are you who you are. And attaching those things together looks very different from when you're single and separated. So go ahead. Yep. And I think that's a good point to make too, because while marriage is not like an accomplishment, being single is not a punishment or a judgment. They are both callings. And I don't think that's something that we are taught, especially when it comes to marriage, that being a wife is a calling. Being single is a calling. That's why the Bible talks about, I think it's Paul who says, I wish everybody would just be single because then we could just serve the Lord. But since some of y'all don't know how to control yourselves and you were, you're going to, so that you don't burn with passion, just get married. Just be together. Marriage is such a calling. Being a wife is a calling. It goes back to what you said. Like, I didn't realize how much influence I had when it came to my husband. My mom says, like, man is the head, but I'm the neck. I'm over here. Since if he's not popping off at work, it's because I'm in the background. Like, relax, babe. You know, let's find another way to say it. Write another email, you know, another way. If we're showing up at events and he's looking good, I may be the one who put the outfit together. I got it on the calendar to make sure that we're going to be there and we're arriving as a couple or whatever. So you're right. They not show up on time. They have no concept of time at all. They think something is 15 minutes and it's really an hour. Okay. And so we're the neck. And I don't think I realized that in marriage, how much influence I had. It's not just about just being Marcus' wife. It's a spiritual aspect to it. It's praying for him, covering him, the intimacy aspect to a girl. So like I was a virgin when I got married and I wrote about it because I was a virgin. And of course there was 
close calls and we did other stuff. But when I got married, I had been told, I stayed a virgin because I had been told that once you have sex with your husband, it's going to be great. So to me, that's like, okay, so sex with anybody else is going to be horrible because I would have done it out of wedlock or it would have been a sin. So then I get married and then no one told me that, well, because you have not had sex before, this is something that you're going to have to work at. Like you're going to have to learn your body at the same time while you're trying to teach your husband how to satisfy you. I wasn't cool with that because to me, you had told me to like be a virgin and not do anything sexual for, I think I was 21, 22 when I got married, 22 years. And then all of a sudden on my wedding night, girl, I was supposed to be swinging from the chandeliers. Like I needed a conversation in between. I was waiting for a magical moment for me to like, okay, now I can be sexy. Like now it's okay to be sexy. And that moment never came. And so I struggled with that. And, you know, you're trying to ask me what I like and I'm telling you, God, do we have to have this conversation? We're not supposed to be talking about this. Like I'm so ashamed to even have the conversation with my own husband. There's so (laughs) much shame. So backstory for myself, it was ingrained in my head that my relationship would not be blessed Mm. because we had sex before we got married. I carried that even into marriage. Like I carried this shame and it was almost like I've disappointed God completely like just disappointed him that when Nico would have these conversations with me about what do you like, things of that nature, it was almost like, I don't know, or I felt embarrassed to say what I felt because again, it's shameful. So when you feel shamed, what do you do? You hide. Perfect example of this, when Adam and Eve sinned, when God came in the garden, he was like, hey, where are you? They were so shamed, they covered themselves and they hid from God. So shame is immediately attached to hiding and embarrassment. And so I didn't feel comfortable or even safe, let's just use the word safe, to share this, even though I'm being asked these questions, because at no point in my life was it taught, share these intimate moments. And so- even I'll even share when we got pregnant, that was a season for us. That was a hard season because I was like, what is going on? Like, we're normally straight. Like, what, what's happening? Why, what, what, why is this turning into a struggle now? But there was the season has shifted. And so there was more conversation of, okay, now what does intimacy need to look like as you're pregnant right. now? Because it's different. Your body shifts, yeah. your body changes. And so you're right, but when you've never been given this narrative, when you've never had a conversation, when you've never had conversations with people you love that you do feel safe with, you do feel shame and you feel like, I don't know what this looks like. Right. And I think I went into it thinking, okay, well, since no one really prepared me for it, this must just be for Marcus. So never mind how I feel. If I don't like it, this is something that you do in service to your husband because my body doesn't belong to me anymore. I don't want to get a room. You know what they say, you don't want to give any room to the enemy. So it was a while before I was able to like be honest. And I like that word hide because then it also makes, you know, your husband feel like, well, what's going on? Like you're not connecting. You don't seem to be responsive. And then they have to have the conversation that I don't know what's wrong. But I think it has something to do with how I was raised. And so like having to unravel. Yeah. You don't even know that at the time that that's the problem. This is why I always say, y'all, you got to go back. You have to deal and heal because you don't understand how ingrained it is into your mental space. But again, narrative is a huge thing. When you've been told something for so long, 
again, your mom and never have had a reference point. So she's just, she may be giving you something that's not rich in wisdom or rich in just truly understanding, but based in what she was taught. So yeah, talk about that. So I think the first time my mom really talked about it with me too, is like, so I had older friends growing up and they would mention it here and there. But my mom was raised by her mom. And I remember asking her, I don't think she ever had the conversation with my grandmother. My dad had been married before. So I think he was the more experienced when he had a child. So he was the more experienced one than my mom. So I, ooh, I'm seeing it now. I kind of fell in the same pattern when it came to intimacy that my parents likely did. My father kind of like led the way and then when I got married to Marcus, it was, I fell into the same pattern. I'm just gonna, whatever you want to do, babe. So like the first time my mom ever said anything to me, it was like a few days before our wedding. She was asking me about my underwear and she was like, you're not taking that old raggedy stuff into that man house. And I'm like, okay. And we were buying lingerie and I'm like, so I'm just supposed to put this on, you know, like, and I'm thinking about the moment, like when I walk out of the bathroom, you know, how is he going to see me differently? What is he going to expect from me? Now that I put this on, because up to, to this point, I've been able to say, no, we went into marriage because I've been with him so long. He already knew we couldn't go so far. But now it's like, I can't tell him, no, we married now. And so I not having a conversation really, I didn't under, like realize, like you said, how detrimental it was. But I had to go back to the point where when did sex become shameful to me? And then I realized there was never a point where it was a positive. I've always seen it as shameful. It's almost, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's, I guess I've hashed it. But sis, like, it's always been shameful. Oh, that's so rich. Because you end up, especially in church, in church, you're told, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But it's almost like, but no one's teaching me what this actually really looks like. Right. What do you do this? What do you introduce? Like, what are you, ta- like, wh- how do you introduce lingerie? Like, do I keep this on for a second? Like, right. like, what, like, do I do this once a month? Like, Mary bed is literally undefiled. Like, you can do whatever, not, you know, to your discretion. Yeah. But to say, like, what I do with my husband, and I always tell people this. I heard this one day, and I wish I remember where I heard it from. But somebody, a married person, told me one time that sex is worship. Mm-hmm. That it is literally worship unto God. The act itself is a gift. The act itself is literally worship. And I never looked at it that way because afterwards, I think there's a sense of closeness with my husband mm-hmm. that I probably would have never felt until after. There have been times when we'd be mad at each other and then that happens. And then we just like, I just want to be all up under you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like the shit. And so because the enemy will do whatever to drive a wedge between yeah. worship, because when you worship God, that brings you close to them. And so I truly believe like that act of worship, but it does take work if you've been kind of, yeah. And because it's been taught that it's shameful, never a positive. It's almost like we've been taught don't do it. And then when we get married, it's just supposed to be a light bulb. And it's yeah. like the same thing doesn't happen. You don't yeah. get to have that if you've yeah. never been taught. Do you struggle with being consistent with God? Or have you fallen off your routine and really need to get back on to spending quality time with God daily? Do you find that when you actually do sit down with God, you don't really know where to start, what to read, and you really don't know how to make your routine work best for you? 
Well, you absolutely need the Time with God course. So let me tell you all about it, sis. In this course, I discuss with you how you can actually spend time with God and study the Bible. In the first class, I teach you all the tools you need, how you can look at time with God as a benefit and not a duty or a chore, or even feel bad when you don't spend time with God. And I even give you some strategies on how you can spend quality time with him where you actually feel like you're building a relationship with him. In the second video, I share with you how to actually study the Bible. I give you over 11 different ways to read the Bible so that you can switch up your time with the Lord. Switch up your time with God and learn a fresh way on how to spend time with him. And if you purchase this course, you get the Time with God ebook absolutely free. In this ebook, I have over 23 different devotionals that you can take part in on the Bible app, 21 different Christian books, 31 of my favorite sermons, and two worship playlists. So you can never say you don't have anything to do in your time with God. Remember, when you purchase the course, you get this ebook absolutely free. So go to risingrenee.com backslash time with God or go to the link in the description. Again, that's Raza Renee backslash time with God, or go to the link into the description. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, the switch doesn't automatically happen. And I think I understand they were trying to keep us, you know, so they were using scare tactics, but then for some of us, it was detrimental. And then instead of teaching it that it is a gift and every perfect good thing comes from God and sex is good. And so it has to be a gift from God. And that even the Bible gives us, we use biblical principles. The Bible will tell us about how often, what the limits are. You know, the Bible gives us instruction, but I think that goes to having a lack of understanding and being able to study and read scripture so that I can teach you. Okay, now the Bible doesn't say explicitly, Claire, how many times you should have sex with your husband, but here are some biblical principles that you can use as a guide or as a point of reference. But we have to be able to study the Bible first in order to do that. So Yeah. How did you kind of overcome that? I would say, you know what, Rosa, it's still a work in progress. Like I have a friend. It's probably about six years ago. Me and Marcus had a, like a real rough patch. Like I was asking my mama, girl, why y'all let me do this? So I had a friend. He had reached out to his friend. And that friend reached out to his wife and said, I need you to call Kalanda. And that's why I'm so passionate about giving women a space, too, because I had somebody come up to me, didn't know me, but didn't give me an opportunity to, like, shy away from it. I think I tried to play it off when she asked me what was going on. And she was like, I know what's going on. Marcus told my husband, I want you to know that your marriage can progress or you all can get past it. And then just her giving me that space to be transparent is what I'm always trying to create for other women. And so when she was willing to be open with me about her own struggles with intimacy with marriage, I was like, okay, because that isolation, thinking that you're the only one who deals with this can also make you go back in your shell. And then here you are putting on a front, everything is happy. And y'all over here about to give up on your last leg. But if that girl had not reached out to me today, and we're still friends and she had not reached out, I don't know where Marcus and I would be, but because of her transparency, it just freed me. And I was like, okay, somebody else is going through this. Girl, let me ask you some questions. And I think I've been on this journey since then. And even now, because I do understand that, you know, sex is worship and that the enemy still wants to come between my husband and I. I have to be diligent about my mindset that this is 
worship unto God that I'm doing this out of my love for my husband, not because he got a right to it, not because he wanted and I don't want it. So even in times where I may not be interested in it at the moment, I realize I can talk to the Lord about anything. I'll ask the Lord, I need you to give me the strength, the energy, so that I can satisfy my husband because I want to be able to meet his needs. And so <laughs> I remember literally last week I was in my room praying. And I said, Father, fill this room with worship. I want this room to represent intimacy, not only on a spiritual level, but a physical level. And let this room always be a place of worship. And here's the thing, (laughs) y'all. Y'all don't be trying to get jiggy and try to tell the Lord what you need. But like, literally, you got to say the thing, say the thing to God and be like, look, I wanted to be bomb, God. Okay. Help your girl. (laughs) Bring some people. But like. Also, I'm glad you expressed that just what you said was building community and having community of women to talk about those things. I have friends that I only talk to about marriage because they're in it. So I have a friend, I call her my everything friend because we talk about everything, but literally she and I will talk about sex and just have the healthy marriage conversation of what does that look like when you're not into it? What things can you do to kind of build that Because you need to be able to be transparent. And here's the thing, that's not shameful. What that relationship gives me is a emotionally safe place Mm -hmm. to have a conversation that I may not want to have with my husband. I don't probably want to have that conversation with him, but I can get it from another woman to be able to learn. And it's not shameful. She's a Christian. She's not going to talk about this because we have to have those conversations about conversation with your husband. And so for you and having to learn how to overcome this, What other ways have you learned to advocate for yourself, especially within marriage, but also within your calling? You know, I feel like sometimes I'm on this journey alone and I know the spirit has me set up to almost be a trailblazer, which I am because I'm the first one in my family. Like if you wanted to consider me to be a preacher, I am the first, I'm a first generation preacher I in a sense because my parents don't do it their parents weren't doing it so he has me as a trailblazer I have the perfect type of husband who understands like my anointing does not intimidate him doesn't make him feel less than I'm not acting like the man at home I enjoy being a wife I enjoy being a submissive wife it's easy when you have a great a great husband but I have to advocate sometimes for myself I'll probably say more to me to myself more than anything because I'm not used to myself being in a certain space. I was doing my devotion this morning and I was telling the Lord, I've seen how people respond when I'm just writing. Lord, if I really just let you take control and if I do the things you tell me to do when you tell me to do them, I'm a little afraid of what you may do through me. So I'm always advocating to myself that, girl, you see how the Lord gives you an idea. He tells you what to do and then people respond. Keep doing it. Just keep following the same pattern. So I'm like coaching myself more than anybody. I don't, you know, I'm fortunate to have friends and family who believe in my calling and who who support me. It's me talking to me because I'm afraid (laughs) of what you might do through. Girl, okay, so, oh, this is so good. Can we talk about that? Because that was literally a conversation I had with God this morning. And I had a business meeting with him, actually. And he literally said to me, and I was like, this is so rich. I said, oh my God. He said, don't, oh. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. He said, don't get caught up in what you think people don't need to hear. Mm. Don't get caught up in what you think people don't need to hear. Because the true essence of it is, it's not us. 
nor only empowered. The Bible talks about Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Another translation says, you loving me will empower you to obey me. Mm. And so when we love God, we naturally obey him. And out of that love flows the power of what we're, we are doing. And so being afraid of stepping out overall is like, I heard this quote on a podcast and I thought this was so bomb. It was a quote that this guy said, but he was quoting Miles Monroe. And he said, Miles Monroe did a talk and he was talking about how no manufacturer wants to see their car on the side of the road. And essentially what he was saying was like, if BMW drove past another BMW that was on the side of the road, not doing anything, he'd be like, well, I created this to actually move and do and all this kind of stuff. It's the same thing with us. God doesn't want to see us on the side of the road, just chilling. He wants to see us be empowered to do everything he placed in us to do. And so, like you said, like it is more of you talking because it gets past those limiting thoughts. Yeah. Really reacting in faith of things you've never seen done. Right. And being empowered to know that you can do it because it's really, truly, it's one of those things where you're walking with God and not having really a lot of sight, but you're walking in trust. And when you do walk in trust, people are more in awe than they are like hating. And if they hating, they just probably don't have the right mindset anyway. But even with that being said, you could be more inspiring to them than really detrimental. Yeah, that's good. I need to add. That was my devotion this morning. Like, Lord, if people like through a blog where I'm writing as a release for myself, but I just happen to let the world read my blog and they're sending me messages that they needed this. What does it look like if they were actually here and I started praying and then the spirit started moving and we laying hands? I'm afraid. Not I don't want to say afraid, but I can't even fathom what that's going to look like. So I'm still trying to work past like, okay, Kalanda, you are called, you are anointed. You already know this. You have a gift, you have a purpose, and you need to let the Lord use you the way he created you. And that needs to be without any limits. So I know I find myself sometimes just trying to limit it to, I'm a writer, you know, I write my blog, but then when opportunities come and I want to put you on another stage, I need you to like open your mouth just like you use that pen. But it's more, the thing that stops us is our flesh. Why? Because our flesh likes comfortability and our flesh likes comfortability because it was made to be comfortable. And so in saying that to say a lot of times with getting past those things, I always tell people, if you feel like you are at a cat where you're capping yourself fast and pray because you got to kill this thing. Because when this thing is killed, there's always more. Like I told a story last night when I was talking about my podcast and I said, before I even started my podcast, I remember I joined a network marketing business and I was network marketing is like where you sell mm-hmm. products and all kinds of face stuff here. That was my first taste of entrepreneurship. But anyway, in the network marketing business, the girl told us, she said, y'all need to go on live video. And I was like, who was about to listen to me talk live? Yeah. No one, no one's going to listen to me talk live since we talking about, but she was like, show your products. This is what you do to sell. You need to sell. You need to sell. Did live videos on Facebook, sis. And then next thing I know, a couple months later, God is like, okay, share your testimony on live video (laughs) of your experience as a Christian in therapy. And I'm like, Lord, you have lost it. I am not doing it. But I always say the progression of yes leads to more yeses. That's a quote. That is progression of yes means more yeses because that yes of doing live video after I shared my testimony, it got like a couple hundred views. And I said, Lord, I'm not doing this. This is attention. Essentially, what we're scared of is yeah. attention. 
But yep. it's not us that takes the glory, it's God. But even doing that, then he told me, okay, now interview people. So then interviewing people. And then after that, I was like, I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that again. But then there was, okay, now do a podcast. So it was a slow progression because God couldn't give me a podcast right now that reaches right. the amount of people at the place I was because he knew I would run away. I would go the other direction. <laughs> I would be like, you are talking to someone else. You are not talking to me and run the other direction. But it's a progressive yes. And so I think when you're thinking about it, especially even for every other person too, your progressive, your yes is going to always be a progressive yes. But it is it is so valuable because that progressive yes is so going to bless other people. And even if it does mean laying hands or speaking in tongues or whatever that looks like, the freedom that people get to have because they may not have it is way more important than my desire to not say yes. Yeah. And I think that fear of attention, which somebody should write about that. I think it goes back to limiting beliefs. It can also be a cultural thing that women are supposed to be seen and not heard. But when you think about a man, men, in my opinion, like a confident, you don't have to tell a man, he'll walk up to a woman that he is interested in and, you know, he'll put his stuff out there, ask her for her number. She may turn him down. She may do it in front of his friends. But I think sometimes as women, we have a harder time stepping into certain roles that put us out, you know, there in the forefront. So what you said is, that's what it's been for me. I didn't realize that it was the attention, but that it could go back to limiting beliefs. And then even the way that I grew up in church, that men were more in the forefront of pushing ministry. But you want me to be a ministry? Yeah. Man? And truly too, I said to some in the face, can't nobody tell me I don't love God. Right. If somebody else can't tell me that I don't love God, then whatever stage he put me on, I'm going to go. Because at the end of the day, it's a higher pursuit of him getting glory than me getting any attention. And truly, that has to be worked out as you say yes. Mm. Like I think there's a thing of being processed in the dark where God does process you in hiding spaces where he hides you. I feel like even still, he's hid me to wherever, wherever he has me going long term. But you don't really know that to be a thing until it happens. Because it's attention. It's like... God, am I going to do something wrong? Like I used mm-hmm. to tell myself, God, I'm going to do something wrong. It's just going to be like, lead your people down the wrong. And I'm pretty sure I probably said some crazy things along the way. But there's grace for that because the grace in doing what I'm doing is I'm only doing it in obedience. I'm not doing it as an act of attention for other people. I'm right. Act of attention to God. But you tell yourself, like, am I going to do something wrong? Am I going to do something wrong? And even if you do do something that's probably off. There's grace for that. There's grace for those things. And so, but the other thing that I used to tell myself too, especially as an entrepreneur was, God, I don't want to sell you. I don't want to sell you. I don't want to put your name on something and put a dollar amount to it because I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. That shouldn't be what I would. And he would literally check me and say, like, I remember he's like, but what have I said? What have I said? And so that always brought me back to a place of when Adam and Eve had sinned, And they said, well, the serpent told us. And he's like, who told you? Who said that this? And so I always try to say like, your yes means more than anything. He doesn't try to qualify the call. He qualifies. He qualifies us, period. We just have to say yes. So even in that and learning, like you said, with the calling piece and advocating for yourself and talking to yourself, like you even said, even doing the movement, you still have to do, you still mm-hmm. have to tell yourself. Same thing for me. I always start to tell myself these things. So 
But I'm glad you shared that one piece because I think that it is super important to like note that no matter where God sends you, you're always going to be coming back to him. Yeah. No. Gosh, you got to help me. Yeah. I know where my source is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that. I think that is essential for people to, they see you a certain way, but I'm still behind closed doors. Lord, you got to give me the confidence to show up because they are expecting something from me. And if you don't speak to me, I can't talk to them because I need them to hear you. So I'm glad, you know, that came up. So I don't want people to ever look and say, oh, she's arrived. No, I'm still over here. Arrive nowhere. (laughs) Okay. Arrive nowhere. And even as your territory enlarges you, you're still going to have to ask for wisdom. Right. And knowing how to steward more people. Like just because God has given you the ability to manage one sheep, Imagine having 50. That's right. Different minds. And so it's stewarding yeah. wisdom, but you only can get that wisdom from God. Hey, sis, are you currently in therapy? Then let me tell you about an amazing tool that I created and have been using since I started therapy three and a half years ago. It's called the Therapy Reflection Journal. Have you ever finished a therapy session and thought, girl, what did we talk about? Or a couple of days later, like, gosh, that was such a good point and I don't remember it. Or maybe you want a journal where you can reflect on what you and your therapist discussed to dig deeper into your mental health and really, really, really work on what you and her talked about. Well, I absolutely got you covered since you definitely need the Therapy Reflection Journal. This journal was designed for those of you that are in therapy that want to take notes during your session, write down homework, and it even has reflection pages for you to dig deeper following your sessions. It's basically your therapy journal to track your entire experience. I found that when I was going to therapy, I always would take a blank journal with me. And when my therapist would ask, okay, so how did you um, reflect on last session? I would be flipping through my journal, like, where did I write that down? Where did I write that down? And I wanted to create a structured journal to keep up with all of those sessions, all of those notes, reflections, all in one. I still use mine to this day, literally. And I even refer back to it when I'm looking for different things. You can start using it today, even if you've been in therapy. So... Go ahead and grab your copy by going to rosalrenee.com backslash journal or go to the link in the show notes. I can't wait for you to use it. The Therapy Reflection Journal is your reflection journal for your therapy experience. Now, let's get back to the show. So with that being said, how do you think from all the things that you have learned, your relationship with God has shifted, even from like those hard conversations of him saying, I'm the one you come to. I know for me, he'll tell me or God, Holy Spirit will ask me, what do you want to do? And I'm like, (laughs) I need you to tell me what I need to do. But for me, he's given me the ability to choose. And that's a tough one. When God says, you choose, you choose what you want to do. I think I'm in, I think I'm the same way. I think I had been taught that you go to the Lord about everything, but he's showing me that you carry my spirit. So when you speak, you're speaking on behalf of me anyway. So whatever you decide to do, it's because I put it in you. So you don't have to ask because Rosalind, I used to be so bad. Like I would hold off planning an event because Lord, I want you to tell me the date, the time, the location, the speakers, what you want them to talk about. And I'm learning that, you know, after not being able to successfully plan with like cramming like that, that whatever he puts in my spirit, it's because he gave it to me in the first place. I'm not creative enough to come up with an event that will bless 
several different women, like you talked about, a different mindsets, different sheep, unless the spirit gives me what to say or how to meet their needs. So I'm learning to rely on when he gives it to me that he doesn't have to give me every detail, but he's put it in my spirit. So when I am planning and I'm telling people what I want and when he gives me the vision, it's because he gave it to me. And so I'm learning to rely on my relationship with him. Yeah. And so I know there's some people that may ask questions on that and say, well, how do I know that what I'm choosing is Mm. good? I want to always give this preface to say, I love this. I love this example. And then you can talk about it for yourself that one, I didn't know when I started my podcast, what it was going to do for me. I did not know. I did not go into it with a really an expectation. The only thing I had was my story. The only thing I had was my testimony. The only thing I had was the materials, the things that I had did over time that grew. But I always said to myself, God, if this is good, like it's going to bless somebody. And it did. However, and I don't give glory to myself for that because whatever realization I got was only from the Holy Spirit. But the other thing in going tying this to scripture, when God created the earth and created all the things, he always stepped back and said it was good. And so you have to look at the things that you put out and not more so focus on it being perfect, but doing the best that you can and really understanding that any stalling you do, you're pulling back the ability for it to just be good. It's good regardless. Why? Because it's good, period, just to put something out. But also in you doing good, you are literally using the creativity because creativity is a gift. Mm -hmm. The enemy don't have creativity. And the sense to say like, He's cunning. He tries to like be very like sneaky, but the ability to create something out of nothing, that is only God. And so with that being said, having the ability to say that something is good is just doing it and not thinking it, thinking it to be too hard. Because a lot of us have vision. We have vision. We just have to execute. So like for you, like how did that of just seeing it be a thing that you wanted to do and just executing it. How did you effectively follow through on that? I think with me, the Lord has, it almost becomes a burden. Like it's like a baby. So I don't know if if everybody's ever been pregnant, but when it gets to that point where you have to push because there's no more room, like you literally, especially when I first looked, I literally felt like I had hit a ceiling. I cannot go any further unless I do this. And I think that's what we have to be mindful about. Like, we want to know what comes next, but you have to obey the first instruction before he can give you something else. And he sees how much we can handle. So if you aren't able to do the first thing, he's not going to give you anything else. It's just like video games. You can't get to the next level without completing the first level. And so I think before it gets to that point, because sometimes if it becomes a burden, then maybe we, we may rush it and just get something out. But before it becomes a burden, if the Lord puts something on your heart, where maybe you're in a space, you notice something that no one else notices, something burdens you, or you care about something more than others care about it, and the Lord has given you a way to be an answer, then that's I was that, that's the Lord. We don't naturally want to solve other people's problems because this flesh is selfish. So if there's anything that the Lord has put in your spirit or giving you a vision about that would be a resource to somebody else, I would say that's from the Lord. The spirit helps us because we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to create. We don't know what to do. So he has to give it to us. And so if you have something that could be a resource, an answer, or an opportunity to share your testimony to somebody else, do it. Do it. You have to do first things first before you can do anything else. And the Bible tells us the only things that we do for Christ is what's going to last anyway. So you might as well 
do what he told you to do. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is great. And I'm so glad that you like touched on a lot of different pieces of what you do because it's so multifaceted. It's mm-hmm. a very like learning how to change the cycles of things can be so challenging, but it's super, super worth it in the end. So why don't you tell the people where they can find you, sis? So I am on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Colanda Douglas. I also have the Church Girls Movement, that same handle on Facebook and Instagram, or you can go to my website. It's colandadouglas.com. All right. Well, thank you, sis. I appreciate you. I love y'all so much, and we'll talk next week. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.